0: It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world.
1: The great questions of life Philosophy, science, many have asked the question, how old are we? Not when we were born in a hospital, but really, what is the origin of all things? I am thrilled to have with me in studio, Dr. Tim Standish. Dr. Standish is a friend of mine and he is a friend of the show. Dr. Standish, I want to welcome you again to It Is Written to have a discussion on Origins. Well, thank you. It's great to be back. Now, Dr. Standish, for those who are watching maybe for the first time and not familiar with who you are, you are a senior scientist with the Geoscience Research Institute. You have a uh, BA, excuse me, a BS in zoology and a master's in biology. Then you have a PhD in environmental biology and public policy from George Mason University down in Virginia in the States.
2: That's correct.
1: And uh, that's a lot and a big mouthful, but maybe just as a bit of a review, what is it that the Geoscience Research Institute has dedicated itself to? What is the mission and what are you doing with the Geoscience Research Institute?
2: Well, the mission of the Geoscience Research Institute is to uh, seek out understandings that make sense of the Bible and science. Uh, Now most of the time, if you look at most things, I mean the Bible and science are not necessarily in conflict with one one another. The clear statements of of Scripture really don't conflict uh, with what science has discovered. Occasionally you find things that are are remarkable uh, congruences there, particularly in archaeology. Yes. Uh, However there are also some areas, a, a surprisingly small number of areas, Where there's some tension between the way that uh, scientists, at least traditionally, have been interpreting the data from nature and uh, the clear claims that are made in Scripture. So where that tension exists is really where we're interested. Uh, there's, There's something interesting going on there and what do we do with it? Uh, we're all Christians. We're also um, all uh, Ph.D. scientists who remain active in our, in our uh, disciplines. Yes. So we, we, we sometimes struggle with this. Sometimes uh, we think we come up with good answers. Sometimes we have to say, you know what, we don't have answers yet. We live by faith, uh, as all Christians do. Yes. Yes. Any exciting project that you're working on right now? Well, there have been a number of things that I've been working on. Probably the thing that I'm most excited about is a paper that uh, one of the graduate students I worked with, um, published as a senior author, obviously I'm on it, that deals with um, uh, something that seems very obscure, I know, but it's the mating habits of a certain kind of, of sea turtle that's, that's endangered. Uh, this particular one isn't super endangered, but we study um, a species that is not in critical danger and see if we can't find out things there that then we can apply with, with those that are more threatened. Okay. And uh, we are able to use um, uh, molecular genetics as a way of figuring out uh, some very interesting things about the mating habits of these uh, sea turtles. Wow, that is
1: very, very fascinating. You know, Dr. Standish, as a scientist, You've made a decision, and that is your decision is that you believe there is a divine force, God, who has caused creation. Yes. Why have you come? And this is a big question (laughs) that could take long hours for us to go through. But fundamentally, why is it that you have come to that conclusion, which is vastly different than a great deal of the scientific community? of uh, course, my, my first question back was going to
2: be, how long is this show? <laughs> uh, there are, there are um, uh, several reasons that I would draw to your attention. Uh, first of all, of, of all of the accounts of origins, to me as a scientist, the one that makes the most sense is the biblical account of origins. That doesn't mean that I don't recognize that there are some tensions in there yes um there are some difficulties and I don't have all of the all of the answers but the the tensions with other views of how things have worked out are so much greater that I have faith that the tensions that exist there between the claims of scripture in terms of origins um, the relatively small number of issues uh offer greater hope of resolution to me okay. than the massive problems that I see particularly with Darwinism but also um, belief systems uh, like theistic evolution and, and so on. Um, it's, uh, you know, we don't have all the answers sure. on these things which is what makes them interesting. Yes. Um, yes. I, sometimes I speak at churches and I meet people who do have all the answers and they must live boring, sad lives. (laughs) Uh, We don't have all the answers, um, uh, but I go with the Bible because it it makes rational sense and because it does line up with the data very well. Of course, that's obviously, there's still a a, a step of faith there. Yes. Um, The other, another, well, one other reason is that the Bible gives hope. It gives us hope for the future, uh, the new creation, Yes, it also gives us hope in, in the moment as well. There is a created God. He does love us. Um, he is wise. He cares about us. And um, I believe that He is active in, in the lives of human beings and in His creation. And so from your observation, you've come to this conclusion that the
1: biblical model is the, is the best model. And so here's the question that I have for you. You know, when you look out in the world, when you read, there are many people that talk about, write about origins. And for lack of a better word, the seeming go-to model is an an evolutionary model that, that takes millions of years to produce complex organisms and then eventually human beings. Why do you have a problem with that?
2: Uh, my primary problem is that ultimately i don't see it as being a scientific um, uh, undertaking uh, there 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 are a number of reasons again for that. Number one, we see this kind of theory uh, from long before the emergence of modern science. So, for example, if you go back to the um, Roman writer Titus Lucretius Carus, okay, he actually lays out um, a, a theory of evolution in which the atoms move around randomly without any guidance from the gods and through unguided interactions they form the earth, the sea, the sky and the generation of living creatures. Mm. I'm paraphrasing him in English, he, he wrote in in uh, Latin. Sure. Uh, and he died about 55 B.C. So before the time of Christ these ideas were around, they didn't have Um, the methods of trying to date things that we have today. Um, uh, But uh, another thing that that really bothers me as a scientist is that everything, all the really heavy lifting, is put way back in the past where it's unobservable and untestable. Hmm. Um, So uh, a lot of what is postulated to have happened is... Philosophically necessary um, given the presuppositions that are being started with, but they are not evidence based um, uh, things. Now, there is some evidence out there that can be well interpreted within that Darwinian model. Yes. So we don't want to pretend that that's not the case. Okay. However, I believe that m- the majority of the evidence. Is not well interpreted within that model, and is far better interpreted within the um, uh, the, the view that is presented in Scripture. Okay, now I, I need to
1: kind of put my mind around this. You know, when I grew up, I grew up in school being taught that this model of 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 millions, and sometimes conversation even of billions of years, and the 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 catchphrase for this model is survival of the fittest. I grew up learning that. So tell me, what I mean, what's what's the problem? You don't see survival of the fittest. I'm am t- I'm 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 pulling from your comments. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you seeing survival of the fittest? Well
2: let, let me rephrase that slightly. Um, uh, Charles Darwin came up with a theory um, of evolution based on the idea of natural selection. Okay. Now Natural selection was kind of paraphrased as survival of the fittest. Okay. Okay. Um, And uh, this is a term that's commonly used, and it does capture some of the meaning of it. Yes. Uh, The idea is that certain individuals um, produce offspring and others don't, and that that is not a purely random thing. The ones that produce more offspring have something about them that can be inherited, that is passed on to their offspring, that that somehow or other causes them to, to, to make more babies. Yes. So he who has the most babies wins Okay. in this model. It's, it can be really boiled down to that. And um, obviously, there is some truth to natural selection. The question is, does natural selection really explain what we see in the world today. What Charles Darwin said was that um, uh, you started out with one organism and it developed variations and certain variations were superior or you know were selected above others and as these different organisms sort of split apart you slowly got many 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 different kinds of organisms. Uh, a pattern, by the way, that is almost the opposite of what you see in the fossil record. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we can talk about that yeah, perhaps, yeah, perhaps have, later. Have, that's, that's, that's a big topic. We're going to have a whole but, yes. couple of shows on the fossil record. Um, however, in, 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 in this view, you, you have organisms that are competing with one another for survival all the time, and uh, everything is in, in, a, in a struggle to the death. And the most closely related things are in the most intense struggle to the death. Okay. Uh, with one another. Because, um, you know, you are a human being and I'm a human being. So we eat the same kind of food. And, and in this Darwinian view, there's only so much of that food. So we have to fight over it to see who gets it. And whoever wins gets to eat and gets to breed. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> And so... So, this phrase, survival of the
1: fittest, the more proper term in the evolutionary model is natural selection. Now, you, you, you said something, and I, I want to spend just a moment kind of digressing just a little bit. You say you, there are certain instances where natural selection is,
2: is happening. We, we, we can observe this. Well, yes. Um, uh, babies that are still born don't get to have more babies. Yes. So, uh, if there's some genetic Reason that you know a, a, a child is dying before it reaches the age that it can reproduce. Obviously, that's natural selection at work. What natural selection seems to do in nature is kind of keep things the same. Okay. It 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 stops wild variations that are lethal to the to, to the to that particular species of organism.
1: Now you just said something now that's got my mind kind of kind of exploding with questions. You said natural selection actually narrows things. Well, How? it keeps things stable, keeps things stable. <laughs> however, however, when we have this natural selection keeping things stable, it seems in evolutionary explanations, that natural selection is actually used to explain the development of organisms into another organism.
2: There are really two parts of the theory of, of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution okay. that you have to understand to understand how this all works together. You start out with variation. Okay. If you look at organisms like you and me, we're a bit different. Yes. Both very handsome, but a little bit different. <laughs> That's right. And um, uh, so that variation is then acted on by natural selection. Now, most of the time, what natural selection seems to do, what it's been observed to do, is kind of keep things the same. Okay, um, It stops these wild variations. According to Darwin's theory, occasionally there's a variation that makes you have more babies. And whatever that variation is, it could be, you know, having a larger nose or... Having blonde hair and blue eyes, I don't know. Uh, what sort of things make human beings have more babies? But um, something genetic makes you have more babies, and then that's passed on, and natural selection kind of um, then moves towards that new kind of standard. Okay. So, you, so the idea is that natural selection can sort of move an organism in a certain direction, even though there's no goal in mind. It's just a matter of, of a certain variation making more babies. So that's how it's supposed to work, at least.
1: And why do you think that that's not how it works, and when you observe nature, you're coming to a different conclusion than Darwinian evolution?
2: Well, um, certainly from a scientific perspective, it just doesn't look like it works. Uh, first of all... When we, when we try doing uh, selection on organisms, so dogs, for example, okay. what we find is that we can get amazing variability in dogs. You get little chihuahuas and big Great Danes, and, and so you've got this incredible variety in yes. dogs. However, you don't have elephant-sized dogs and you don't have dogs turning into watermelons or something like that. There's, there's a limit on the variability. And once you hit that limit, you just don't seem to be able to go beyond it. That's very interesting.
1: I, and, and I spent a few years learning about growing apples. And I knew a man in Wisconsin who had an orchard. He grew 450 varieties of apples. Wow! And it was a fascinating thing. He had apples called coconut crunch, which had the crunch of a coconut, but at the end of the day, it was still an apple. He had another apple called Hawaii that had a little tinge of pineapple flavor to it. However, it wasn't a pineapple, it was still an apple. So what you're saying is, when we observe, we see variety, but there's a limit to that variety. You don't have a dog becoming
2: an elephant. It just doesn't work that way. It's, not, it's certainly not something that we've observed. Now... Um, uh, I sometimes use roses as an example. You, you can have red roses, you can have yellow roses, you can have white roses, and, and you can have all sorts of variations in between because roses have the genetic potential to make those different colours in there. So a pink rose has just a smaller amount of the red pigment produced. Yes, so Amazing variety within roses, but you don't have blue roses, genuinely blue roses. Yes, right, right. Now, um, uh, I've actually tried to make blue roses. I, I, I actually grew something called a blue rose. It was a very sick kind of rose, not a happy rose, and it certainly was not blue,
1: uh-huh.
2: not blue like our shirts. Yes. Um, the way you make a blue rose is by either using Photoshop to <laughs> photograph it and then turn it blue... Or uh, perhaps you know, dyeing it blue in some way, or you can take a gene for making a blue pigment from another flower and put it into a rose, and you can actually do that. That's engineering. It's guided. It's intelligent design. Yes. So we know that ultimately, variability like this, the kind of um, uh, sort of big jumps in variability, that that you that you've got to have if you're going to evolve a rose into, let's say, an iris or something, that those don't happen when we do artificial selection. Why would we expect that they happen when you do natural selection, for which there is no guide?
1: No, no.
2: Well, this is... So what, when, we, when we look at it,
1: maybe a word that we could use is there's harmony rather than this
2: fighting for survival. What do you you see there? Well, um, there there is amazing harmony in in nature. And and frankly, the idea of survival of the fittest, in my opinion, is quite a corrosive view of nature. Mm -hmm. Um, Biology is not in a constant state of war. Um, You know, we're not in a gigantic competition for mates and food uh, with each other. We we, we have a good, friendly, cooperative relationship. But if you look at nature in general, that's the way it works. In fact, that's the way it has to work. Think about bees and flowers. Yes. They are not in a competition with one another for survival. They're cooperating with one another. The flower is producing um, uh, pollen that it wants the bee to carry for it to another flower. And it is also producing nectar. That the bee that then feeds the bee and rewards the bee for doing it, so everybody comes out on top. Um, another example would be the fungus that grows in, in association with the roots of plants. Mm-hmm. This is an amazing, amazing um, th- relationship that's there. They 're not at war with each other at all. The plant supplies sugar, the fungus supplies uh, minerals. It increases the surface area of the roots. It can absorb more water. It's, it's, and, by the way, it's also been found that plants can signal using the fungus between one plant and another. This is remarkable. Human beings ourselves. You know, there are more non-human cells in a human body than there are human cells. Now, that's because, to a large degree... Uh, bacterial cells are much smaller than the average human cell but in our gut we have all kinds of different bacteria that live in there and help us. Mm. Without those bacteria we probably couldn't survive so we have a beautiful cooperative interdependent relationship with all of these organisms that live on us and in us and without them we can become very ill. And without that cooperation
1: and a model that requires a warring for survival, in fact, it would seem to do almost the opposite in that you would have nothing
2: survive because you would not have this interdependence. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, uh, to, to quote Jesus Christ himself. Yes. The, yes. If, if all of nature was at war with everything else, life could not exist, or at least it certainly doesn't look as if life could exist. And irrespective of whether it could exist or not, what we actually observe in nature is the vast majority of the time amazing cooperation and not some kind of fight to the death for survival.
1: And so having said that, and and, and I'll use this word harmony again, this this harmony and interdependence as a scientist, as a zoologist, a biologist, an environmental biologist, and as you observe nature, and we've given several examples, roses,
2: bacteria, what does this all point to for you? To me, it points towards a plan. Um, Imagine uh, uh, a factory, let's say. If you're going to produce something in a factory, there has to be a plan, and all sorts of different systems have to come together and work together in a cooperative way. We know that that's how things work. When we look at nature, we see something vastly more beautiful than a factory or anything that a human being has made. Yes. Why would we interpret it differently than than we do something as ugly... And as a factory, nothing against factories, no, of course. No, no, sure, sure. But, but they do illustrate an important point. Nature r- requires a plan to work, a plan for that cooperation. And uh, without a plan, there would be nothing.
1: And I don't want to make too big of a jump, Dr. Standish, but if there's a plan it would seem to me to indicate that there is a planner... That's right. Somebody designed the plan. ...that generates the plan. Yes. And as you observe, and as you ask this question, and as you see, there's design, there's a plan, which must mean there's a designer or a planner. Ultimately, in your mind,
2: who is that planner or that designer? Well, that is Jesus Christ. And, uh, and probably the, the, the most amazing thing about history to me is it's indisputable that Jesus Christ existed. Um, Jesus Christ came down, became part of his creation, and demonstrated his power over the creation. And this is a matter of historical record. Yes. It's not fanciful stories. It's an actual historical record that we have of this occurring. To, to, to go with any other idea is simply a denial of history. Um, so I'm uh, very pleased to not deny history and to accept a view that it makes sense and is beautiful. And so, Dr. Standish, we are unfortunately
1: out of time once again But what a beautiful thing. Nature demonstrates there is a plan, and a plan requires a planner, and that planner is Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that there is a plan, that you are that planner, and that you have a plan for each and every one of us. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. My dear friends, what a phenomenal thing it is to know that there's a plan. And behind that plan, there is a planner. And that planner is God, and he has a plan for your life. Today, I'd like to offer you the book, Beyond Imagination, a book by Dr. James Gibson, the director of the Geoscience Research Institute. In addition to that, maybe you want to learn more about how to enter into a relationship WITH THAT PLANNER, JESUS CHRIST. I'D LIKE TO ALSO OFFER TO YOU THE DISCOVER BIBLE LESSONS, WHICH WILL TAKE YOU ON A JOURNEY OF DISCOVERING A RELATIONSHIP WITH HIM. HERE'S THE INFORMATION YOU NEED TO RECEIVE TODAY'S OFFERS.
0: TO REQUEST TODAY'S OFFER, JUST LOG ON TO WWW.ITISWRITTENCANADA.CA FOR CANADIAN VIEWERS, THE OFFER WILL BE SENT FREE AND POSTAGE PAID. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4.
1: Dr. Standish, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, Thanks so much for having me. Dear friend, I want to invite you to join us again next week as Dr. Standish and I continue our discussion on origins. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.